Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of In Vain. We wanted to take a moment and thank all of you for your support during the Nerdsmith subdrive. We really cannot continue to make this podcast without your help, so we cannot give you enough credit and enough thank yous for all of your support over the last couple of weeks. It means the world to us. I won't go too much into detail, but I will say for those of you who are still looking for some amazing dice to call your own, you guys should go to dieharddice.com and check out their fantastic selection. They make all of their own custom metal D20 molds. Um, they've even, I believe their um, Mythica set is completely... Uh, done by them. They are patent. I believe they have copyright on the design. You guys should go check them out. Uh, I know that I love rolling with them. They are nicely weighted, very heavy, and I just, I adore them. So you should definitely go check out dieharddice.com. And if you do so and use the code FANGGANG, F-A-N-G-G-A-N-G, at checkout, you can get 15% off your first or next order with them. So I will let you guys get right into the story. I'm not in this episode. Neither is Elsa. Are you guys ready for the mystery? Last time on In Vain. And I do hope that your brief meeting with Maximilian wasn't too traumatic. And she looks over at Maximilian and he smiles a little bit. I propose an exchange. Uh, your father's life for the private investigators. Done. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In Vain. I'm Chad, your storyteller, and you can find me on Twitter at Chadlicious. And my favorite vampire movie is John Carpenter's Vampiros Los Muertos, because it is a movie where John Bon Jovi plays a vampire slayer. Oh, that is a good choice. That is that is an excellent choice. Um, anywho, hi listeners. I'm Fennec. You may know me from various other things around the internet. You can find me at the Fennec Wolf on Twitter. And my favorite vampire movie of all time would have to be. Mm, I'm going to say the Francis Ford Coppola version of Dracula. Nice. Now, I just want to remind our listeners that the podcast itself has a Twitter handle. It's at in underscore vein underscore podcast. And if you like our show, be sure to rate and review. Give us some likes on iTunes. That's important. Subscribe to our show. Show us some love. Let's get all that out of the way so we can get to a vampire story. So it's the early 1950s. And as we join, we see a train making its way through a very, very severe snowstorm somewhere in the north of Russia. And on this train is a particular young woman who's being sent somewhere. Fennec, could you tell us who she is and give us a brief description? I can. Her name is Yulva Molotov. She is about 26. Uh, five, ten, 
5'11", although right now she's hunched over into a very small sitting ball with how many people are crammed onto this train. Uh, Dark brown hair pulled back into a tightly woven French braid, and her blue eyes keep darting around the room trying to figure out if there's any way out of this, or she's... But the more she sits and realizes there's no way out, she is on the train to a gulag. Right, and not just any gulag... One of the most infamous gulags in Stalin's Russia. You're going to the Kalima camps in Siberia, where typically being sent there is a death sentence. Why does Yulva find herself on this train? Yulva finds herself on this train because she and her classmates from the St. Petersburg State University of Aerospace Instrumentation, that is a mouthful to read, um, decided to have a little protest against their dear ruler and his policies. And as if any who are familiar with history and Stalin know, Stalin was not a very kind man when it came to this sort of thing. He was very much firm and swiftly dealt with any who put his uh, ruling into question. And so now you are headed to a gulag. And the journey is not quick. It is not easy. There are times when the train has to stop due to severe weather. It is cold. These cars are not heated. People are huddled together for warmth, clutching what little clothing that they have. Typically, some of the only possessions that they have with them uh, for warmth. And after weeks, when the journey should have taken maybe a week or two, you finally get to the camp and the train pulls in and the doors open and people are being herded out like animals to the main center of the prison camp. And the guards are there. They have their guns at the ready. And Yulva, you and the people around you are being ordered to strip in the middle of the square and run to one of the wooden shelters off to the side so you can be processed. And they're barking orders at you. People are being threatened with guns. You see somebody a few feet away from you get hit with the butt of a rifle right in the face when they wouldn't comply. What do you do? Uh, She's going to run over in front of the person and be like, and help them up and basically be like, hey, do not hit them. They are. Let them take their time. We are just got off train. We are frozen. Give us a minute. And, you know, she helps the person back up onto their feet and proceeds to comply with orders because she was going to fight. And then she saw that and realized, yeah, nope. Yeah, they're not. Anybody who does put up a struggle is swiftly shot. So you, you, you help some people and you strip down into the it is cold it is snowing it is freezing you are naked and you are forced into a building that once again has no heat it's actually a wooden shelter with no roof and you're standing there in the snow that is piling up with men and women who are frozen they're scared and they all know that they're going to die and the guards come and you are processed. You are inspected in the most degrading and humiliating manner. Your clothes are picked through. The ones that are 
that are whole and warm are kept by the guards, and you're giving nothing but rags left to wear. And you are forced into a bunk where it is cold, and around you is fear and misery. And life doesn't improve much from that first day. You are forced to work in the mines. You are mining precious metals for the Soviets. And it is hard, backbreaking work. You are forced to use picks and shovels that have not been repaired. Some are rotting through, and when they break, you're expected to use your hands. And life moves on like this in the camp, but there's there's a few things that still stick out in your memory about this time in your existence. One of which was one of the guards was particularly abusive. Why don't you tell us about him? Dimitri, um, he was he wasn't a very tall man. He was actually very short. Um, you could say he had a Napoleon complex because of that. So he had, he was sort of showing off for the other guards, looking like, oh, look how bad I am. Look how cruel I am. It wasn't uncommon for him to come and visit the dorms after hours to do things. And we'll just leave it there. Um, more often than not, Yulva would be the one who would volunteer to keep the younger people away from that kind of abuse because of her her instincts as being a protector as an older sister and so she was very intimate with Dimitri and just all the stuff that he would do so she has a particular hatred for him and just there's if she could glare a hole through his skull he would be he would not be in the living realm anymore and as the the days go in and out and the torment continues is there something some thought some memory that keeps ulva going because in conditions like this people tend to waste away and die very quickly but something keeps her holding on and she outlasts some of the original group that she came with um her thoughts would be on her sister katrina and um her mother I wrote it down, I swear. Sonia, um, they're her family. They're all she has. And she's kind of, and part of the reason she went to university was to make a better life and to look after them since her father died in World War II. He was part of the, um, I can't remember what exactly they were called, but the defenders of Moscow when the Nazis invaded and were keeping Moscow from being overrun. And he died basically in one of the battles. So she just keeps focusing on getting back to them and making sure they're okay because most of the time in Soviet Russia, if you were taken in, your family was also treated very harshly. So she wants to get back and make sure they're safe. So there's no telling what's going on with your mom and sister, but they could be in trouble and you're stuck in this camp. Yep. So she's trying to find a way to flee and to get back to them. There was a time once where you did almost escape, but it ended very poorly. Tell us about that time. So uh, what would have happened is Yolva would have gotten a couple of the other women together. And when Dimitri came, she would have 
um, they would have been hiding and helped her knock him out and they would have gotten his keys and they made a break for it. However, um, just by pure unlucky circumstance, another guard swapped over to the night rotation and saw them and, um, they were severely beaten, had their food withheld for several days and only she and only two others out of the five survived that what happened. And that kind of harsh treatment was an example to the others that were staying in your same dorms. They stopped putting up fights or even thinking about escaping. They lost hope after that happened. And so time passed and in conditions like this, the days kind of blend one into the other and it became very difficult for you to know exactly how long you've been here. But it gets to the point where you start marking the days just based on how how run down you get due to the the poor food, the lack of adequate food, the freezing conditions, the sickness, the disease, the, the constant abuse that happens, you start to slow down. And in a camp like this, slowing down is death. But I don't think you let anybody else know about this, do you? No, I mean, um, given the fact that she pretty much constantly has her hands wrapped in bandages now, it's just because of the conditions, everything in her body is hunched over. She still is putting on a very brave face, a very brave show that she's fine. She's not slowing down. She can still handle it, trying to keep everybody's spirits up and trying to play that part of a leader and, you know, keeping her friends and her allies as safe as she can. So you take almost a, a leadership, almost a uh, nurturing role in the gulag, in, in your particular dorm area, I assume. Yep, she is. She is Mama Wolf. She looks after him. Is that what they call you? It is. Okay. And so you push yourself without complaint. Uh, I'm assuming even giving a portion of your your meals to some of the other girls that are weakened with starvation just so they can last another day or two. But this can't go on forever. Tell us about the day when Lulva finally broke and couldn't go on. Um, it was very much a typical day mining um, the metals, the uranium and everything else and all that jazz. Um, her pickaxe hadn't been working, so she was clawing at the ground with her hands and causing the bandages to be stained with both blood and dirt and various other things in there. Um, and she looked over and she saw one of the guards driving a truck over to pick up the various things that they collected, except due to it being snowy, the truck slipped and spun out of control and headed towards one of the younger girls, um, Talia. And without even thinking, Yolva just ran over and pushed her out of the way and got under got hit by the truck and yeah that was the day she stopped was she mortally injured or did she linger for a while 
it was m- mortal injury, but it was lingering. It was very much a very slow, painful death. It was not quick. It was not easy. Half of her body was crushed and they just kind of left her there to die. Okay. So it was a, a lingering death. You're, your body's crushed. You're of no use to the camp anymore. So some of the other guards and Dimitri, who took a little too much pleasure in this, they knew what was going on and how you couldn't give any more to Stalin and Russia. So they picked you up out of the snow and carried you out of the perimeter of the camp and just dumped you in a snowbank to freeze to death and die. And as the guards go back in, Dimitri takes a minute just to spit on you before he goes back into the camp. And there you are, face down in the snow, cold, starting to go numb and starting to feel very sleepy. What is... Yulva's last thoughts of? Um, she, she thinks of her life before this. She thinks of her mother and she thinks of her sister and, you know, she hopes they're well. Uh, she thinks of her other comrades who were also arrested and hopes that they were, their fates were much quicker than this. Um, but the very, very last thought is of her, sister and praying that if she doesn't really believe in anything, but whatever's out there that they watch over her and make sure that she never has to suffer like she has. What's your happiest memory with your sister? Um, they, she, let's see, Yulva would have been 15. So my hap, her happiest memory with her sister was, uh, she ended up taking her to one of the libraries in Moscow and they just kind of found a corner and Yola found this really old folklore book and she's pretty sure it was supposed to be banned, but she didn't tell the librarians and she just sat there and read like all the tales of like the Baba Yaga and, you know, the ice queen or the snow queen and just all these fairy tales and everything to her little sister and just reminding her that if she worked hard enough that she could also have something like this and be happy and just, you know, basically spending time with her little sister and teaching her stuff. Okay. And as your thoughts linger on that, as your, you start to lose sensation in your hands and your feet and the, the cold and the sleepiness starts to creep into your, your flesh more and more. And you start to drift off. You, it's almost like you go into a slight sleep But then suddenly after minutes, hours, decades, who knows, uh, your body is suddenly flooded with warmth. It starts at your mouth and it branches out to all of your veins when you just feel, it's not uncomfortable, it actually feels quite pleasant. Uh, The warmth that fills your body very rapidly, but soon it starts to turn into pain and torture as your body starts to twist and crack and you start to experience what feels like fever dreams where you are reliving the trauma of the camps you're reliving unpleasant 
childhood memories, remembering the loss of your father, the loss of your classmates, the political climate that you fought so hard against and realizing that you're a casualty of what's going on and the, the dreams and the pain and the, the unconscious twitching and, and snapping and breaking of your bones seems like it goes on forever. And then one night you open your eyes and you rise and you're in, you're in a small home. It's, it's almost like a, like a flat or an apartment or a squatting tenement. And there's a small fire going in a, a little metal drum and you are in a bed and the, the sheets are torn, the mattress. I mean, this place has been by no means good repair. It's snowing out of the window and you, you're alone. What do you do? Uh, she takes a moment to kind of feel at her body because it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. There feels like there's something wrong. And then she reaches up to the right side of her face and discovers half of her face has sunken in. Like there's basically almost no cheekbone there and she goes to feel along. And then there's the bits of, um, psoriatic flesh that are just like raised and scaly and the raised veins and pulls away to look at her hands and they're gnarled and arthritic and (sighs) there's next to you is a nightstand and it looks like there's there's a letter that's folded over and it's it's sitting on top of a, a small hand mirror She hesitantly reaches out for both. She sets the mirror down and then reads the letter first. <laughs> so you open the letter and it says, basically, it says that you have changed, but I have saved your life. When you look into the mirror, be prepared for a shock. And it's signed Edwin. She looks as though I'm very confused. Ed, who is Edwin? I don't, I don't know an Edwin. I don't remember at camp. I don't. I, what's what's the name? Ah! That's her scream of shock as she looks in the mirror and realizes she is Clan Nosferatu. Yes, your face is sunken, your skin is scaly, your veins are exposed. One of your eyes is glossed over with cataracts. You still have your hair, but your body and your face is horribly misshapen and deformed. And you scream in shock and maybe some terror. And as you scream, some hands, some comforting hands... Uh, touch you on the on the the tops of your arms by your shoulders and a voice whispers gently in your ear says shh it's okay this is something we all go through it's okay she panics and tries to roll around and throw the mirror at whoever it is because she strange person touching her this is nope nope 
So you turn around and throw the mirror. It hits the, the wall, but you see a being or like a monster who's horribly misshapen and deformed as well. The skin just twisted and, and bones gnarled and you know, spine shaped like a question mark. Pointy ears and patchy hair all over his head. And he... He puts, uh, he puts his hands up in a calming gesture and says, My name is Edwin. And you are? Uh, uh, Yulva Molotov. Where, where am I? You're safe. I, I found you outside of the camps and I brought you here and did the only thing I could think of to save your life. I no, I have to I have to get back. They need me. I have to no, I have to no. I have to go. Yeah yeah. Child, ah. child. There's no going back. No, I'm not a no child. Human. I'm an adult. Thank you. You're also no longer human. This is from snow. This is from card from being hit. He takes a seat in a chair next to your bed and he, he takes a deep breath and he said, You are beyond caring about all of that right now. You are what is commonly called the vampire now of the clan Nosferatu. Like stalker, like the blah, blah, I want to suck your blood. We don't say blah, blah, blah. Hmm? But we do survive in the night, we do drink blood, we do hide in the dark places. And I can teach you how to survive as one of us if you're willing to listen, but you must understand that your old life is gone. You, for all intents and purposes, the old Ilva is dead. What about family? My family. I have to get back to them. Stolen will not be kind to them. Ilva, when did you get to the camps? That is a good question. Uh, 19. I'm trying to think time wise. It'd be like what we said 1950. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 1950. Why? You've been in the camps for three years, Ilva. It's 1953. And if you were caught by Stalin there, you know what happens here. But if you are willing to let me teach you how to survive as one of our kind and not do anything stupid and get yourself killed, maybe you can travel back home and see if they're okay, but the odds are against you. But you'll let me go back. No prisoner. No, you're not a prisoner here. You're... He rolls his eyes a little bit and says, technically, you're my child. I made you I, what you what? are. I'm your sire. I made you what you are. Ah. Not so like father, but not father. I see. If you want to think about it this way, I'm the one that made you born to darkness. And 
for that, I I am sorry. But I'm not dead. So that deserves thanks. Technically, you are dead. But you're also living. It's like undeath, if you want to think about it that way. The very confused sure very confusing all right I'll, don't worry kiddo i'll show you the ropes and uh is ilva willing to stay and learn the ins and outs of being a vampire first she is i mean she kind of has a little moment where she cries just thinking about the fact that she she can't go back to help her friends. She can't go see her family. And it's just, it's all really scary. But there's somebody who's actually being a kind human, quote unquote human, for all intensive purposes to her. And she's going to take it because it's been a while since anybody was nice to her. Yeah, Edwin is doing his best to to be a good guide and comfort to you. Uh, there are moments like when you you know, have an emotional breakdown after having all this news he hits you like a ton of bricks. He gives you your space, but he stays nearby. And throughout the length of time that you're with him, I mean, he's, you know, he looks hideous, but he, he does mean well. He is trying to show you the ropes enough to where you can survive as one of his kind. And when you are having a hard time coming to terms with your new existence, he does lend a listening ear. He's not, you know, maybe doesn't know the right words to say all the time, but he does offer a shoulder for you to cry on if needed. Because as Nosferatu, only other Nosferatu understand. We have each other. That's all that matters. Right. And he does teach you about the other clans and how the clan Nosferatu fits in the structure. He teaches you about the Camarilla, the Sabbat, the Anarchs. He teaches you about the Beast. Well, you learn that lesson on your own, actually. And he teaches you how to hunt. And you end up learning that you have a particular fondness for a certain type of prey. What is it? Um, Yova likes to go after the bad guys. She likes to find them in dark alleys and make them feel as scared and lonely as she did before she has a little snack. As time goes on, I mean, you know, Edwin, you, you stay with Edwin for a few months and he gives you a basic education teaches you about the the traditions that vampires must follow you know the, the, how the city structure works princes primogen all the, the pretty clans how they like to run things and how nosferatu have to pretty much argue for their existence nightly but what they do what they do best is gather information and dig up the dirt on the other clans they're information brokers, and that can maybe fit into your skill set a little bit. And when he teaches you as much as he can, he tells you that you know you're released from him, and there's no special ceremony like the other clans have. There's no 
you know, weepy embracing or anything like that, it, unless you want it. But she's going to hug says, him anyways. Oh, oh, okay. Edwin hugs you back. And he says, well, you pretty much know the ins and outs of how things go. You're your own kindred now. Good luck to you. If we ever cross paths again, I would really like to hear how how you've done. Is there a way I can contact you? I like to learn letters. Perhaps let you know how I am. My path is taking me to Moscow. So maybe if you feel like writing, you can, he, he writes down on a, on a sheet of paper, a post office box and says, you know, I have a friend. This is his mailing address. If you mail this, maybe a message or two will get to me. I will do that. Stay safe. May shadows keep you. Same to you. And when you settle, you be sure you tell me where you're at. Of course. For now, I need to find where I like to settle. Hear more about these anarchs you told me about. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, any of the sex doesn't, uh, eh, you know, you can pick and choose who you want to, you want to bed down with, I guess. But remember, Blood is thicker than any of that. Nosferatu or Nosferatu, and we stick together, no matter what the sect is. So in any city that you go in, if you meet the Nosferatu and you need help, they will help you. There will be a price, but you will get help. Of course, I will make sure to keep ties with our family. And you're expected to do the same. Of course, my haven is always open. Well, good luck to you. And to you. All right. And so where would Ilva go? You had mentioned one day wanting to check on your family. Do you think that's a good idea? I think she would go check back with her family. The only other thing she could think of at this time would be going back and getting revenge on Dimitri, but at this point, who knows where he is, so family seems like an easier thing to track down, so she goes after her family. Okay, and they were in St. Petersburg, correct? Correct. Okay, and so you... Well, the only way to get from Siberia to St. Petersburg is by train, and so I guess you would find an inventive way of mailing yourself to St. Petersburg. I was going to say, she would probably just use the obfuscate to get on a meat packing car and head back from Siberia to St. Petersburg that way, because it's doors are closed, no sunlight's getting in. I like that. All right. And so I guess when the, the day comes and the day sleep takes you, you'll um, have a corner or something where you're hiding. Sure, we'll do that. So you spend a week or so in a refrigerated meat car. It's not so cold this time. No, brings back many memories, though. And there's enough workers that stop at the different cities at night enough where you don't go hungry. 
There's a lot of bad people that try to ride the trains in Russia without buying a ticket. Mm. You're looking at one of them. And eventually you get to St. Petersburg and you, it's almost like your, your feet know the way you're going to where your, your mom and your sister and you used to live in your breathing days. And you eventually you make it to the, the apartment, the house, where do they live? Uh, apartment. Uh, they were not, her family wasn't, her father, while being in the Russian military, wasn't a very high officer, but it was enough to have a nice, comfortable apartment. Yeah. All right. And, I mean, given your, your father's pension from the military and your mom and your sister having to do odd jobs to, to scrape together enough for rent, it's not the, the most opulent of places, but it's not a hovel either. And you get to the apartment you used to live at, and what do you find? Do you find something you wanted to find, or a nightmare? I would say she glows. She makes sure that most of her face is covered up with a um, babushka, just to kind of blend in with everything. And uh, just knocks on the door, and uh, the thing that happens when it's open, it's she's hoping for her sister um, or her mother, but instead it's a completely different woman. It's somebody she doesn't know. So it's a new family that's in here. And she opens the door and she sees you and she says, can I help you, grandmother? Because the condition of your skin and the wrappings. Yeah. Thought I was um, looking for Molotov family. They were friends of mine. I came to town to visit. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I hope you haven't traveled far. They, they were taken last year. Uh, oh, I, uh, I see. Was there reason or um, apparently one of the one of the family was involved in a protest and when a branch goes bad the tree has to be cut down da indeed thank you for your time dosvidaniya comrade and she quickly closes the door and locks it yeah, Yova just whirls around and just poof, into a wall, probably forgetting her own strength for a second and realizing she just punched into somebody's apartment and whoosh, runs. You punched a hole in somebody's apartment is what you did. Do you know? Yeah, that's why I'm saying she's like, uh, and bolts. She she does a snagglepoke sex at stage left and runs. Where does the wind take you now? Uh, she runs to just a alley somewhere and just kind of sinks to her knees and just starts sobbing because she knows what it means for her family and that there's there she doesn't have the resources or the way to get them back and 
she she's lost her family basically and again so and you know exactly what they're going through or went through yeah so it's just it's it's sobbing just icky blood snot tears ugly horrible sounds you get that ugly crying going on it matches the outside and so as you remain in St. Petersburg, maybe for another couple of nights until you feel strong enough to move on, because this, this city has nothing more for you. Yeah, she's she hops on a train and she doesn't care where it's taking her. She just kind of goes with it. Right. So you hop on a train, not really caring where it's taking you. And over the next couple of years, you wander, you travel, you stop in different cities, you make friends, you feed, you survive. What's a highlight that happens during this journey? What is somewhere as you're traveling? Give us a flashpoint, something interesting that happens doesn't have to be world changing just interesting um she manages to find this soviet testing facilities i think would be the appropriate term for it and at this testing facility they're researching domestication and how animals came to be domesticated and so what the russians were using at this time were foxes and they're specifically called silver foxes so she decides to kind of hang out and watch because she feels like she has a lot more in common with animals now than her uh, former mortal brethren. And she decides to get herself a little friend. The Russians did do experiments to see how dogs became domesticated from wolves. So they were using foxes and historically they actually succeeded. They had a few foxes that were treating the researchers like dogs. They'd lick their hands. They'd roll over. They'd do tricks for them. Uh, but it was shut down by Stalin because it's genetic Fuck Stalin. Yeah, sure. Yes. Fuck Stalin. And you liberate a particular silver fox uh, from this facility and it's your companion what's its name uh we'll just we'll just go with stella stella works <laughs> so stella the silver fox you liberate it you spend some time with it you give it your blood and it becomes your what's known as a familialis it's your companion Using your animalism, you bind it to you. It's a her, right? Mm-hmm. It's a her. You bind her to you. And you're also... Well, you're bound to each other. And you can talk to her without giving me a rouse check. So I can imagine silver foxes have some very interesting things to say about a number of topics. Yeah, Stella mostly... Stella mostly tells her, like, you know, hey, look, there's some house over there, or I like you, and, you know, that man's not nice, and just basic, very, very basic conversation, but it's still, it's it's a companion, and she's very grateful to have one. 
yes, it is a it is a faithful companion that can help ease some of the loneliness of your existence as you travel the rails. And more time passes, and eventually you end up crossing the border into Poland, traveling further into Germany, into East Germany, which is still under Soviet control, and deciding that you are fed up with the whole communism thing, you manage to sneak into West Germany and eventually make your way to a small, well, to a city, a famous city, uh, towards the southern end of Germany known as Heidelberg. And it's, weather's a bit warmer. It rains a bit, but it doesn't snow quite as much as it does in Russia. Uh, this city is famous for the Heidelberg University. It is the oldest university in Europe, and it is also home to the, the library of Heidelberg University, which is the oldest library in Germany. She's going to, after she establishes a haven first, she goes to the library with careful disguise because she is a huge book nerd, knowledge nerd, just like, give me that books, give me them books. I want, I want all the books. Okay. So you wrap yourself up enough to pass among the mortals after you, you get to town, you, you find a place that would be suitable for you to stay during the day. And then you head to the library and you, yeah, there's no censorship here. You can read whatever you want. And it is a good thing that in your travels, you picked up some German. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she, um, she kind of like picks up just books that are about current events, just trying to keep herself a breeze of the situation, trying to remind herself what year it is with all the traveling and everything. Right. It is 1989. So you have been a vampire for quite some time at this point. And, you know, they reading the local news, you know, in Germany, there's a lot of, political upheaval going on. There's a lot of tension between the, you know, communists and the West Germans. There are, there's, uh, you read an article about one of the latest terrorist attacks in West Berlin by the Red Army faction, which is a communist terrorist group trying to make West Germany fall into the communist way of thinking. And you catch up on current events. Yeah, she marks down in her journal that she has, which has just various notes of people she's met, favors owed to her, etc. Just writes down, Red Army Fraction. Good snacks to have later. Period. Right. And as you are, you know, reading voraciously through whatever you can get your hands on, uh, Eventually, as time passes, a, a gentleman gets your attention and says, Excuse me, miss. And it is, uh, it's an older man, you know, graying hair, nice clothes. Uh, he looks like, judging from his, uh, his uh, badge, his employee badge, his name is Gregory, and he is the head librarian here. And he says, Excuse me, miss. Uh, the library is about to close. Uh, so if you'd like to check anything out, we can get that taken care of and 
you know, you can have a good night. She tends to turn to him. Um, she's wearing like a hooded sweatshirt at this point with a leather jacket over it. And Stella kind of peeks her head out from under the hood looking and she's like, oh, uh, that, uh, thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, she holds up a book on um, politics. Can, can I check this one out, please? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have a library card? Uh, no, I'm new in town. I was hoping to. Oh, that, that's okay. We can get that taken care of, and you can check that book out. And just in the future, we, we cannot allow animals in, in the library, miss. Oh, but she's very well behaved. See, she's, she's not doing anything. She just stays here. Keeps me warm. Okay, just, just for future visits. Of course. <laughs> All right, and so Gregory helps you get a library card to Heidelberg University Library, and you check out that book, and you are bid a good night. And you leave the library, and the second order of business that you were told to do is uh, the Nosferatu in a city usually have a series of like markings or graffiti that other Nosferatu know about that is a secret from the other clans. So if you are a new Nosferatu in town, all you need to do is find the symbols if there are other Nosferatu and they'll tell you where you can find them so you can get the skinny on what's going on in the city before you meet other vampires. Awesome sauce. So um, she lets Stella kind of drape herself over her shoulders, sticks the book and her journal in her satchel, and she goes to explore Heidelberg and see if she can't find the rest of her brothers and sisters and all that jazz. So you are walking around looking for any symbols iconography that you've been told to look out for and every now and then Stella's like I think I saw a raccoon that's another raccoon leave the raccoons alone I let you go eat later now I must find family your family too by the way there is a lot of raccoons in this city you can eat all the raccoons you want later for now focus help mama find markings yeah okay scratches behind her ear. Yeah, she likes that. And as you're looking around, it doesn't take long. You find on you know, the, the side of a building what looks like graffiti to everybody else. You see the telltale ancient markings that indicate that there are Nosferatu in the city and a place where you can meet with them. Look around so you know when there's one symbol nearby, there's others so you look and you look and you look and eventually through finding the different symbols you find that a good place to meet other Nosferatu is in the graveyard outside of the church. This church in Heidelberg is the Church of the Holy Spirit. You're expected to leave a, a sign or something that indicates that you are present and then the next night you could meet somebody. What would you leave behind that shows that you're here? Uh, jokingly, I was going to say a body, but that doesn't... <laughs> that's a masquerade breach. I'm just kidding. Um, no, she takes a piece of paper out of her journal, um, and she draws a wolf paw, and then on the inside of the wolf paw, she draws a fox paw, and sticks a rock over it next to one of the older graves, and 
um, puts a little end next to it for Nosferatu and goes off to her haven for the night. So you go to your, your temporary makeshift haven that's, you know, safe from the sun. And you, the next night, you go back to the cemetery and you see... You walk into the cemetery. How are you walking in there? Are you wrapped up? Are you not? Tell me how you approach this. Um, so she's had a bit of an outfit change over the years. Um, it's now ripped jeans, wallet chain, leather jacket, um, sweatshirt under the leather jacket, uh, tank top with the anarchy, just plain anarchy symbol, not any vampire anarchy. Um, and Yulva will be sitting on her shoulder, but she's coming up looking super not hiding that the fact that she's an Osferatu, she knows you're going to meet family. That's just not something you do. May as well go loud and proud. Okay. And as you step into the cemetery, you look around, you see nothing. You wait a few minutes and you hear a whisper coming from your right side that says the church is empty. Let's go in there. Of course, I follow your lead. And she walks into the church. Okay. And so as you get closer to the church, uh, you see the, you, you get more out of where mortal eyes could see you. you see, uh, materializing in front of you is this Nosferatu woman who's wearing very revealing clothing for a Nosferatu. Her, her skin is very scaly. Her head is completely bald. She has very elongated ears, almost like a bat, kind of an upturned nose. And she grabs the door, the back door of the church and unlocks it and opens it and gestures for you to go in. Danka. She walks in. Nice outfit, by the way. Very flattering. Thank you. She is, yeah, she's definitely wearing some tight clothing in, in very strategic places. I mean, you know, I mean, if her figure actually looks pretty nice, it's just her skin and her face that are really hideous, but she makes it work somehow. As I say, Yul is no prize winner either with her face. Right. She's, but this particular Nosferatu is not ashamed of her body, it seems. And so she gestures for you to go into the church. You follow. And when you step into the church, there is another figure inside who's also wearing a, wearing a hooded sweater. And his face is like one eye is lower than the other. There's patches of hair all over his face. And his, his fangs are like needly and, and sticking out of his mouth. And he, he has a little difficulty speaking clearly, but he's there. And as you go walking in, he sees you and says, Welcome to Heidelberg. Who are you? I am Yulva. My sire is Edwin. He, he's English, not from around here, as am I. Yeah. yeah, you're from Russia? Da, good guess. Shit, how are things going there? Last I know of, shitty. Communism sucks. Yeah, you can say that again. Uh, anyway, so I am known as Dorata. I am the Nosferatu primogen of Heidelberg. And he offers a mocking bow to you. I think Sophia bows a little bit too, because, you know, Nosferatu and titles are like, eh, whatever. 
and he points over to the the lady that let you in the church and says, and this is my child, Sophia. We are all of the family that's in Heidelberg at the moment. How long do you plan on staying here? She'll bow back. Um, well, I was hoping for a new home. Been wondering for, let's see, it's 1989, da? Yes, it has been for a couple of months. Da, been wondering for 20 some odd years. Would like to make the roots. If you are okay with roots. If not, I leave. No harm. No, no, no. Uh, There's nothing wrong with another Nosferatu in the city. It's just that there's some things about the city and the the politics here and the Camarilla that you need to know about before you decide to stay here. Uh, Unlike most cities all over the place, uh, the ruling clan here is the Tremere. Not the Ventrue. So sorcerers kicked Prissy King's ass. I like. Yes, actually. Uh, let's see. Since since the current prince, uh, Hannah. Uh, don't call her Hanny, by the way. She hates that. Uh, since she assumed power, she actually kicked a number of the Ventrue out. Said that they were not allowed to consolidate power in her city. Smart woman. I like yeah, but she's also a blood sorcerer, so you don't you should not cross her or piss her off because you know they they do some really scary you know witchy shit. I've met one or two. Very very interesting to learn. Also, Baba Yaga was interesting to learn about that one. Da. Ugh, yeah, let's 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 not talk of that. Uh anyway, uh so yeah, Ventru uh, oh, so I'm pretty certain. Have you presented your well? Have you presented yourself to the prince yet? No, not yet. Been staying in the ground. Once this was done, family first, then prince. I understand that. So we can wait on that for a while. Let's. You should really get a feel for the city first, uh, as long as you can remain hidden. But I don't think the prince would have a problem with allowing you to put roots down in the city as long as you put on a show of uh, I don't know I have to I have to act like I'm subservient and like I'm their little lackey and stuff but keep you have to stay unassuming that's the best way of getting dirt on them if they if you're if you stay beneath their notice, You'd be surprised the stuff you can find out. Uh, duh, they don't pay us much mind. They say things, they forget we there. She holds up her journal. Many secrets. Easy to keep. It's not her only journal, by the way. That is just the one that she's showing. You want some dirt? Quid pro quo, all that stuff. But anyway, just just between family here. So establishing a haven. I mean Let's see, if you, you're coming from Russia, uh, Germany, we have, Germany has been improving their sewer system a lot. Uh, that's a good place to hide. Uh, let's see, if you wanted to, uh, let's see, stay away from the university. That's Tremere territory. They, 
they patrol, they stay there a lot, so you may not want to be seen there just yet. Ah, we'll remember that for next time. Yes. And let me see. What else? What else? He looks over at Sophia. He's like, what what else? What else? He's like, oh. she shrugs. He's like, I don't know. She looks over at, at you, Ilva. And Sophia says, you like to party? Ah, I love the party. She gestures to her anarchy symbol as kind of a subtle way of asking about that situation. Yeah, well, uh, tomorrow night is Valpurgis knocked. There's going to be a huge party out of the Thingstrata. I don't usually go all the way out there, though. I don't like leaving the city, but there's going to be a few parties on campus, and the Tremere are going to be too busy doing their, I don't know, astrological butthole gazing or whatever the hell it is that they do in their tower over there. Like, no, the Tremere here literally live in a tower. Suck each other's clocks, probably. Yes, that's probably what they do. That's probably a ritual that they do regularly. Not this upcoming Elysium, but the next one, you'll be my guest, and you just get to see how freaking incestuous these people are. Well, I can't wait. I'll bring, uh, what is it the Americans like? The the corn that you eat at the movies, da? Uh, popcorn? Da, popcorn. Right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, of course, there's Toreador. Yeah, she raises her, she rolls her eyes. Uh, I mean, they're not, uh, you know, Toreador, Toreador. I mean, I actually have one in my coterie. She's not too terrible. And as long as I pull my weight, she's a little more understanding than her sire is. And of of course, her sire is the Toridor Primogen, so she thinks she's important. And who would they be, just so I know, to uh, pretend to be awestruck by beauty and art and blah, 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 all the bullshit? Oh, yeah, so let's see. So my, <laughs> my Toridor is Lena. Her sire is Fiorella. And a little dirty secret I'm going to give you for free. She sired another one, Jolina, her sister. They don't get along too well. Actually, I think Jolina, who goes by Joe, by the way, if you say the Lena part, she goes with like some murderous fit or something. But she has declared herself anarch, and things are not going too well with that family. But uh, did you say Jolita, anarch? Yes, Joe, and are the, well... Joe and Otto are like the only anarchs in the city. Well, now. <laughs> she giggles a little bit. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole bunch of brouhaha, if you want to say it that way. I don't want to overload you too much with information. So let's have you establish a haven, rest. You know, we'll, we'll drink a little too much at Valpurgis Noct, and you can kind of get a feel for the city see if you want to stay and if you do you can present yourself to the prince and then see where it goes i would like that very much the nights pass you do have a bitch in time at uh, valpurgis knocked party in the dorms of 
Heidelberg University, actually, there is a party in a particular area of the university that used to be known as the student jail. It was where half a century to a century ago, students that were naughty or broke the law were confined there. They could get out to go to classes, but the university basically had its own student prison, so they didn't get the police involved and create embarrassment for the university. And it has become a party spot nowadays. Oh, Ilva. Ilva enjoys the irony of partying in a prison. She she, she, she enjoys the whole thing. Um, she also tries to press Joe, or not Joe, uh, Sophia a little bit more about Joe and Otto and where to find them. And just for, just for filing away for later. Okay. Yeah. She mentions that, I mean, you can find them at Heidi's bar, but if you are laying low under the radar, so to speak, you should, well, if you approach them, you should probably do so in the cover of darkness because they're not going to tell the Camarilla you're here. Of course, of course. Just knowing players on the field, trying to sense out land. Don't want to misstep. Right. And after like a week or so, a few weeks after you and Sophia have a fun time at Valpurgis Noct, Dorata meets you in your haven you you made your haven in the sewers is that correct yeah so she managed to find um one of like the control rooms like the bigger control rooms it just kind of basically gutted it and turned it into a living space so it's got like a table where she can set all of her books on a couple of bookshelves a bed you know um just making it a couch just kind of made it very homey very cozy to you know live in and to study in and she also has like there's a bookcase that's kind of hidden over by her bed that just has journals upon journals of all her information. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Nosferatu are I mean they're the only ones that are going to treat each other with respect. So he's Dorata is very respectful. He knocks. He he waits to be invited in and he treats you very well in your haven. So Ilva, how are you? Enjoying West Germany. Surprisingly very well. I like your freedom with your information. Very nice. Makes it easy to keep up on things. Right. Well, I'm... And he, you know, takes the, the seat that you offer. He sits. He rests his, you know, twisted bones. And he says, I... I... I don't know if favor is the right word, but I just want to give you a heads up on something, and maybe this could be an interesting stream of information you can find uh, that may that I would appreciate if it came back to me. And of course, you would be compensated for your efforts. So you wish to offer me job? Let's call it job, yeah? Sure, we'll call it that. Uh, so after so the Tremere have their undead asses in a tizzy over something that happened on Vulpurgis Noct. That's all I could gather right now. And it seems like the, the main thing is revolving around two fledglings that were apparently embraced that night. Their names are Dallas and Elsa. 
I want to know why they're so special and what happened. And when we take you to Elysium, they will more than likely be there because they are very new, very trusting, and they actually think that the majority of the kindred in this town don't wish them harm. But we know better. Kindred are like starving wolves. They eat their own. My my request, my job for you is maybe, I don't know, it's get to know them, figure out what exactly happened, what's so special about them, and I can make it worth your while. Also, the prince has allowed them to continue to exist. We don't know who their sires are. They were embraced without permission. So you're telling me, big Camarilla, blah, 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 never embrace, destroy child if not properly, blah, 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 blah. Let two live. No sire. Number one, yes. Number two, we don't say blah, blah, blah. I don't know much German. It's easier to do that. But yeah, so that's different, and that is interesting, and totally unlike what our dear prince would do. So I want to know what's so special about these two, and if we could potentially use this to our advantage. I say we've looked. It's very interesting. Normally, I say no, but... Peak's interest. Fledglings also on own. Not good combination. Right. Normally I would ask Sophia to do this, but she's taken a liking to them. And one of them, Elsa, the, the Bruja, by the way. Elsa's a Bruja. Dallas is a gangrel. I'm sorry. Your prince, Tremere, let gangrel live. Most Tremere and gangrel... No, they don't. They're very... No, no, they don't, which is all the more reason why. You can tell why I'm so curious about this. Uh, anyway, I can't figure anything out because, well, the la when the first time me and Elsa met, she punched me so hard I went flying across an alleyway. And what are you doing to insult fledgling as such? I was feeding, all right? She saw it, took exception to it, and knocked me off of my vessel. Ah, so that kind of fledgling. They're not used to... Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, oh no, no, no. They, um, from what I heard, they initially thought that they were superheroes. Like, Superman punching type superheroes? No, like, I think Captain America is a more uh, apt term, at least when the gangrel's involved. Oh, yeah. Dallas is American, by the way. Mm. She might not like me, you know. They uh, they don't like us, uh, bad blood, the uh, commies and all that. Although, fuck Stalin and fuck communism. Yeah, just, just use your natural charm. I'll use winning smile. And you just give like the like the crooked kind of <laughs> spaced out teeth horror movie looking smile. Exactly, it's charming. Right. And so Dorata, he he says so, but 
seriously though, if you if you do this and you find out this information about why they were allowed to live and what happened on Valpurgis Noct and why the prince has them under her protection. It could be very valuable information if you catch my meaning. I am the primogen. Let's say I give you information. What do you plan to do with information other than back blackmail prints? I have a feeling. Like I do with most of my information, I hold on to it until it becomes useful. I don't know how useful this information is until I know what it is. She just nods because it's Clan Nosferatu's way. They hang on to info until it's beneficial to them. And she holds out her hand. All right, we have contract. I go, I befriend, and I learn. If it's interesting, I bring to you. Right. So he shakes your hand back and says, and besides, anything that gets the Tremere all freaked out like that is bound to be juicy. Oh, that. It will be nice to see them as, um, what do Americans say? Panties in not? Da? I'm not, I'm sure that loses something in translation to German, but I, uh, sure. Uh, I've been reading more, trying to expand English and German. It's, it's going. This is slow. Well, I guess I will leave you to your own devices. And if you have any information for me, you know where to find me. Of course. Dos Vidonia, comrade. Oh, one thing. Next Elysium. When will I find you or will you find me? So for the next Elysium, let's see, I think Sophia will take you there. It's going to be at the, the Hotel Zumritter. They have monthly Elysiums there. They have little other salons and stuff, but that's like Torridor and business and bleh. But the big one, the Hotel Zumritter. And he gives you the, the date of when the next one will be. And says, if you make your way there, Sophia will provide the introductions. You'll present yourself to the prince, and we'll we'll see what happens. But of course, you uh, you can remain hidden from plain sight, right? Of course, it's what I've been doing. Good, probably the best best thing for you to do. Of course. I shall keep out of sight. Do you want me to uh, check on our new friends while we wait? No, I'd rather have you kind of... I'd rather introduce you to them at Elysium. Because if you... They got some stuff going on right now. They uh, the, the prince has asked them to kill a white. It's, it's a mess. It's a total mess. And if they survive, I'd rather have you meet with them later. Despite not liking your prince based on clan, smart prince solve problem very quickly if they do not survive. She may appear unassuming, but she's always thinking. You have to be careful around the Tremere. They, that's what they do. They manipulate. They think. They take. I will keep both wits and blood on me at all times. Absolutely. Don't you dare let them have any of your blood. 
Of course not. Lineage is very plain to see. No need for rituals to figure it out. Anyway, so I think I've taken up enough of your time and I got business of my own to take care of. So I will leave you and enjoy this night. Oh, Auf Zane. Das Vidonia. Yeah, whatever. And he walks out. She just chuckles and goes back to reading her book. The Infane Podcast is a proud member of the Nerdsmith Network. Visit nerdsmith.org for all of your nerdy entertainment needs. If you like to learn but you don't have the time to find out the reason or look up the rhyme, don't let your question just sit on the shelf. Submit your queries to Geek Thyself. Hello everyone, this is Heather from the Geek Thyself podcast. If you'd like to learn more, you can find me at nerdsmith.org or wherever you download podcasts. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself.